Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, I talk with Matt Flaherty about mustaches, Cayuga, the power of community, what draws elites to races, why some races are huge while others remain small, and we also talk about his music and some other miscellaneous fun things. So you might be thinking, Matt Flaherty, isn't he a runner from Bloomington, Indiana? Not Rochester? What gives? Uh, well, Matt has been at all but one of the three Cayuga Trails 50s races put on by Red Newt Racing in Ithaca, New York. And when Matt and I met after this year's Cayuga, we spent some time talking about New York running community near and around the Finger Lakes. And since he's traveled all over the world running, he had some interesting perspective that I thought you might also find interesting. So there. He's also super fun to talk to, so there's that as well. Um, now, many of you may have surmised that I didn't go to podcasting school. But if you did, you went to podcasting school, then you'll notice right off the bat that I do exactly what they teach you in Podcasting 101. Tell your guest about something they did wrong. That's right. In this case, I was a bit surprised when Matt showed up in the Skype window without the mustache that he was sporting just a few short weeks ago when I met him. But like a true champ, Matt shrugged off my criticisms quite easily, and then we had a pretty fun chat. So uh, when we finished talking about the world of competitive racing, training, and traveling, you'll notice we finish up with a few Patreon lightning round questions. That's right. Patreon supporters not only financially help out the podcast, but now they're doing the programming too. Pretty soon, I just won't have a job. Uh, a job. Um, wait, this podcast. Yes, I'll still have the podcast. I, I hope to hustle, still have the job. Um, so anyways, Patreons get the scoop on upcoming guests, and uh, they submit questions through our Slack channel that will be used in the episode. So, again, I'm truly grateful for all that the Patreons do to help enrich this show. Uh, if you are interested in supporting the podcast, learning more about Slack or Patreon, head out to the webpage at www.runninginsideoutpodcast.com and click the Patreon banner on the right side. Or if you'd like to advertise on the show, check out the support link at the top of the page. I have some spots open for the summer, so feel free to uh, poke at that a little bit. Also, uh, I've noticed an uptick in people clicking through the Amazon banner to buy stuff on Amazon, so that totally helps too. Um, please know that any amount of support is totally appreciated, so thank you. And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester Runners. Welcome. 
Yeah, you've ruined my complete intro. I mean, I had a I had a little intro that I was going to, you know, because in the beginning of every show I do an intro, yeah. and it was, uh, you know, he of the the guitar, the mustache, <laughs> and the fast fifty. Yeah, I just realized my uh, profile photo is like long hair and full mustache, and here I am shaved and short haired. Uh, it's a summer do. It's a summer cut, you know. Um, yeah, the mustache doesn't make me hot but I, I i tend to shave it kind of in the off season if if that makes sense i don't know why i'm not a year-round mustache kind of guy but i like to have it when i'm racing <laughs> well so. you know it's 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 july is it your off season uh well it's 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 back to the grind of training i guess i'm not racing for another two, uh about two months i guess maybe seven weeks now or something until my next race so it's like there was kind of a mini peak set up for Cayuga Trails, and then the plan was to take a little bit of downtime and kind of build back up for a fall push. So not really off-season. There is no off-season in ultra running, right? It's kind of a, yeah. a year-round sport. But there's periods of focus, and uh, right. this is sort of a downtime in terms of racing intensity, I guess. But Okay. And yeah. so what's your, what's your next race? Uh, ultra Vassen. It's uh, oh, okay. the one out in Sweden. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so north-central Sweden. Um Awesome race. I actually, we're going to have a really good U.S. contingent there. So uh, Sarah Bard is going, who has won JFK the last two years and is um, uh, fourth at 100K World Championships last year, fourth at Comrades this year, which was super impressive. Wow. Uh, she was a Boston girl, but she's out in uh, Seattle now. Awesome girl. And uh, she's running, and so is Cassie Scallon, um, and then, who has also won Cayuga before, and then I think the first year. And then uh, a couple of dudes, uh, Jeff... The two guys who ran really fast at the 100K U.S. Championships, um, Jeff Burns, uh, who's a Michigan guy, and then Pat Reagan, who's, a, I think, the cross-country coach at uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, yep. So they both ran, they're both like 220 marathon types and ran 630 and 635 for 100 kilometers at Mad City this spring, which is just super good. I mean, Max King's American record is 627. So we're going to have an awesome team for the 100K Worlds, which are in Spain in December, and then basically kind of helped hook up those guys to the race director for ultra Vassen, which is a really good time. I had an awesome time there last year. And then, uh, it's, it's well suited to guys who have some speed. It's not, there's not yeah. a whole lot of vert. It's fast runnable trail. Uh, so we're going to have a nice U S crew, both guys and girls there, uh, ready to throw down with some really, really class, uh, Europeans. So that'll be fun. Wow. Yeah. One of the previous guests, and she was at Cayuga. She's now a new MPF runner, Laura. Yeah, uh, went to SCAD. Okay, so right on. I wonder, you know, and she's recently out of college, so I wonder if yeah. they've uh, crossed paths. Possibly. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know how long I'll that's been there. I, I never, I didn't know of him until uh, just this year. Uh, but he's he's quite good. He's, he ran a 104 half marathon in the in the winter, I think, which qualified him for the Olympic trials. And he's run, yeah, maybe a 219 or a 220 or something like that. So. You yeah, see, you're seeing more and more of that guys with that, those kind of credentials are girls who are 240, 245 girls, you know, stepping into ultras in their yep. prime. And it's, it's leading to some interesting, interesting things. I mean, I'll look at Cayuga this year, you know, it was, yeah, uh, Cayuga is fast loaded with, I, I found my, I was the fifth, I think fifth fastest marathoner, fourth fastest marathoner in the field. No fifth, which I don't find myself in the position of very often in an ultra race. Uh, right. There were four dudes with, with faster marathon PRs. And I was like, geez, it's just getting fast. The sport is. Uh, but, but it's two, with Cayuga's two marathons. So <laughs> yeah, indeed. You, indeed. You, know, I wasn't, you still find your way right, to the top. Right, right. I wasn't too worried, but there's a difference. Yeah. You got you to gotta, yeah. you gotta earn your ultra wings too, for sure. 
Yeah, I um, I was joking with somebody the other day, and I go, "Yeah, if you want to, if you want to hurry up and get the suffering over with, go ahead and run a marathon." Yeah, but if you if you want to sit in it for a while and get to know the suffering, <laughs> yeah, you know, I liken it to like in ultras, you can actually kind of come back from the dead. You you have bad patches, but you can actually come back from them. A marathon, yeah. maybe a trail marathon, you could do that or something, but like a road marathon, it's pretty much there's no time. Yeah, and there's no, I mean, you're just. There's nowhere to hide either. There's no variation in terrain. There's really so, it's just like you're on the road and if you overstep that invisible line, like you're going to pay for yeah. it and it's just going to be a slow, painful decline. And like, there's no real coming back from that, you know, at least it's <laughs> exceedingly rare, but yeah. Um, so if I were to give you a, a step back one second, if I were to give you a, a longer introduction rather than that, rather than that brief introduction, I would have said, uh, He's a, a former lawyer who's been running all his life. He left law to focus on running once he started to see some potential. He loves running fast 50 milers, rocks an awesome mustache, again, full of lies, <laughs> um, has a pretty good set of songs. Uh, he's a personal coach and is sponsored by Solomon and runs all over the world. Yeah. Is that, that fair? Those, all right, those, we're done. Those things are accurate, yeah. <laughs> we're done. Right on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you were just talking about running in Sweden. You're talking about going to the Worlds. Um, the you're, the 50-miler seems to be a race that you run a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, Go ahead. No, that's it. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> well I, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about that. But um, so the I guess we'll start. I, I mean, if you'd like to add more to that synopsis, that's cool. I mean, is there something else? that? No, not more, really. I mean, more? I, I've just found that distance is, is a really good one for me uh, in terms of uh, hundreds take a lot out of you. I'm not ready to go there quite yet. Uh, I mean, I've never done it. The longest I've gone is 100K a few times. Um, like nine hours and change is the longest race I've ever run. Uh, I don't know why I don't do more 50Ks. Maybe because there aren't as many competitive ones around, or I'm not really sure, but I actually ran a few this spring, the Mountain Mist down in Alabama, and then the Chuck and Nut, the classic one out in the uh, Bellingham area, and loved both of them. So I don't know. I, I, I might find myself in some more 50K distance stuff, and those are really easy to recover from. Um, so they work well as kind of build-up races. It, it worked well for me this spring. I had some other little setbacks that led to not the best training but but uh yeah i don't know the 50 mile distance is kind of where i first entered the ultra running sport and uh kind of just where i've stayed i guess for the most part mm -hmm. i've probably overdone it a bit in the past trying to run six or seven of those in a year um need to i'm slowly learning <laughs> to race less uh but yeah just like that distance a lot i don't know it's it's a uh, totally manageable but still really challenging and i found i do well at it i think so Right. And and so you have a, a PR of five twenty eight, right? Yeah. Five twenty eight. Yeah. Um and that was at um I never I had never heard of this. I don't know why. Maybe because it's a road fifty, but yeah. um the Tussie Mountain back? Yeah, it's in so it's in central PA, uh just outside of State okay. College in the it's in some sort of national forest there. Um or, or state forest. And it's it runs like a trail race because it's it's ninety eight percent gravel road. Uh, it runs kind of like a trail race, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, and like a something like like the Tunnel Hill Hundred, that new hundred in Southern Illinois, or some of these some of these tra trail races that are on rail crushed gravel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like that, where it's like, eh, not really. It doesn't feel like a road race, but it's not really a trail race either. There's no technicality to speak of, but there's actually over five thousand feet of, of vert in that race. Um, wow. So it's not flat by any means either. Uh, so it's actually. 
it's got to run at least 15 minutes slower than a than a flat 50 would um but uh yeah that was a, a good run for me that was um 2013 it was the u.s championship yeah. so it was zach bitter and, and david riddle were there and we had a good race and uh, managed to get the record there, uh, which was Wardians, uh, Mike Wardians before that. And then it's actually, so the, the U.S. 50-mile championships were at Door County in Wisconsin the last two years, and now they're going back to Tussie uh, this year and maybe next year. So that should bring in some some fresh competition. I may find myself there depending on some other, <laughs> depending on other race things and, and what, yeah, <laughs> other race plan. Okay. I may get back there. And it was it was a cool race. I'd definitely recommend it. Um uh, the guy's name, uh, Mike Casper, I think is the director and he's been doing it for, I don't know, at least 15 years or something. That race has been around and it's a fun one. There's a big relay event with it too. You can do a team relay and it's, it's good. Well done. Yeah. And then like a month after that though, you ran JFK and you ran a 544 in JFK. Yeah. Now some, some people, um, we have a couple of people around here that have run JFK a couple of times, Davin Osvig and, and Mike Weldon, and they ran fairly well at JFK, but a 544 and that gets you second place. Yeah. How- that was, that was the birth of Zach Miller. That was the year he burst onto the scene. Nobody really yep. knew who he was. Uh, who, he's also from Rochester in a way he went to RIT. Yeah, so. yeah that's correct. Yeah. And, and originally from Pennsylvania and, and yep. he was, um, yeah, that year, I don't know. I didn't feel awesome that race. I felt like I ran a good race, but I didn't, I didn't feel great. Uh, I came off the AT actually right behind Zach Miller. We descended that like whatever it is, 1,000 or 1,200-foot drop right at the end of the AT together. We all hit the, t- the towpath. He took off. Uh, Josh Arthur was up in front of me, and then Rob Carr came by too. And the three of them kind of took off running six flat pace down the towpath, and I wasn't quite feeling it, so I was running maybe 6.10s or 6.15s. And I lost about three minutes to that group, but Josh Arthur fell off it eventually, so it was just the two guys ahead of me, Rob and Zach. And after I lost about three minutes, that's what the gap remained. Like, they slowed down to my pace. I couldn't go any faster, but we were just cruising down that marathon on the towpath. And then right. somewhere right near the end of that, I came around a corner and saw Rob walking. And I was just like, well, that's surprising. Everybody was expecting him to win it. You know, he was, right. that was the year he burst onto the scene as well. And, uh, and yeah, he ended up having kind of an off day. I mean, he won the North Face 50 two weeks later, so he came back quite well. But yeah, he had an off day or something just wasn't quite right, and he ended up dropping out. But Miller, you know, I kept expecting Miller to come back because, you know, the kid had never run a 50-miler. But as we've right. learned, you know, since, never never underestimate Zach Miller. I actually just wrote an article about him for the, uh, the July issue of Ultra Running, uh, kind of analyzing his racing method. I think it's called the Zach Miller method or something. And uh, <laughs> it was a really fun piece to write. I interviewed him a couple months ago for that. And he's just, he and Jim Walmsley uh, on the guy's side right now are like my two favorites to watch uh, in the sport because they're just, really doing some incredible things i mean jim's just so dang talented and what he did at western states over the weekend was incredible but uh yeah uh despite you know the epic wrong turn and and, and collapse but uh zach as well i mean he just runs with he's like the prefontaine of ultra running you know he yep. runs runs with all of his emotions on his sleeve and and pushes hard 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 and uh that was a cool race it was a cool race to be at i feel like i've had a lot of these i don't know tussie was a win and a u.s championship which was awesome JFK was second in like I think the sixth fastest time ever there or something that would have been the record before Riddle broke it in 2011. Yep. So it was like a good time, but totally you know a mm-hmm. bummer to be second place by like seven minutes. And then the following year, the following spring, I was having a really good spring and yep. long on my radar had been this 20 plus year old record. I guess 20 year old record at Ice Age. That was like my backyard ultra when I got like cut my teeth in Chicago, uh, starting out and like. 
really stout record by Andy Jones, kind of a legend of the sport. Um, not Andy Jones Wilkin, but Andy Jones, the Canadian, uh, who was a total badass back in the eighties. And, um, and he had the record and I wanted it so bad. And I, and I had a great day and pushed and got it. But Max King just beat me into the ground the last <laughs> 15 miles and <laughs> beat me by like eight minutes. And, and, uh, so it was kind of the same thing. I couldn't be upset about it. You know, I felt like I had an awesome day. He was just better, but well, I feel like there's been a bunch up- of these where I've been like second, <laughs> with a good run, not, but like can't quite get it done. I don't know. Not to bring up another one of those, but you also raced Sage at Cayuga, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like, yeah, I'm sort of like always the bridesmaid, I guess. Uh, hey, that, that's not so bad, though. I mean, you got a couple big wins, but yeah, I've man. had a few and, and hopefully can get some more in the future. I've dealt with my share of injury stuff the last three, four years, mm-hmm. too, which means that half the time I'm racing, I'm in a little bit of a compromised state. You know, I felt like that way, that way at Cayuga this year. You go out there and you do what you can with the fitness you have and you try to run smart. But like, if you're going in not feeling 100%, it's, it's just tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was feeling pretty good that, that first year at Cayuga when I raced Sage. It was actually a pretty fun race. He had charged away in that massive climb, whatever it's called, uh, kind of eight miles into the race. And uh, we, we hadn't uh, seen him in a long Lickbrook. time. Lickbrook. Yeah. Lickbrook. Yeah. So yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd kind of gotten away from us there and it was me and Jordan McDougal and maybe somebody else. And, and I started pushing too early, uh, maybe 20 miles in. And I actually managed to catch Sage at the turnaround, like early within like 30 seconds, which was really fun. Cause he didn't expect that. And we right. kind of like went by and he was like, Oh man. <laughs> and like, uh, <laughs> then he like hammered the next climb out of there and he's a really great climber. So I never saw him again, but yeah, I had a pretty decent run that year too. I, I also think that first year of Cayuga was faster. Um, cause the main difference was, uh, well, actually, it wasn't that hot that year. I actually looked at historical. Uh, I was curious about Tyler's win this year at Cayuga, so I like did some like research and, and looked at the the Weather Underground historical data for the weather for each of the actual race dates. And this year was in fact the hottest Cayuga trails yet. Yeah. I guess last year wasn't so bad, but like. No, last year was actually, it was nice and misty in yeah. the morning, had a little bit of coolness to it. That's what I heard. I missed last year, but the, the other three I've done, and it got progressively hotter each year I did it. Um, so the first one actually was fairly cool too. But additionally, um, instead of doing, is it called the rim trail that you come back down after the, like from mile four to seven-ish in the race, when you're yep. after you yeah, get old mill right. and then come back down, is that the rim trail that we? T- yeah, that's with the stair. Yep, that's called the rim. Yep. Yeah, so we stayed higher, whatever trail that was. That's kind of flat oh, okay. for a while, and then a long gradual descent the first year, like um, and didn't do the stairs at all. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's actually so you're actually like running probably 400 feet less vert on the race or something. Plus, there's no stairs. It just mm-hmm. definitely takes several minutes off the race to go that way. I think, which makes Tyler's run this year and his record all the more impressive for it being kind of the hottest year yet. And also, you know, a slightly tougher course, I think, than that first year. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of people that go under seven at that race. No, really. No, it's you tough. Know, so. Yeah. So, um, getting, you know, focusing in on Cayuga a little bit, uh, I looked at some of your race history. You don't return to a lot of races, it seems, but you've been at three out of four Cayuga. Yeah. Is there, is there something to that? Uh, I would say, that's that's mostly, I mean, yeah, part of this is I'm, I'm in my prime, and I don't know how long that's going to last, and I want to take opportunities to to travel and to race, you know, wherever those arise. So uh, that could be international, it could be around the country, and there's kind of different races on my bucket list and that sort of thing. I would say two things, like 
draw me back to races. And that's if the race is really well done, if I like the atmosphere of it, the race director, all that stuff, and the course. And then also the U.S. championship side of things is important to me too. So that definitely sweetens the deal with Cayuga. And I've had talks with Ian about this, you know, in terms of like what matters to, and it's a little different for everybody, but what matters to kind of the top elite runners around the country? What do they want to race and why? And uh, I think the championship element is important. Um, Ice Age is another one I've gone back to, I guess just twice, uh, but plan to go back to more in the future. And again, it's just, it's a classic. It's been around since I think 84. Um, it's one of the oldest 50 milers in the country. And, and they, they're a little different in that they've had like eight different race directors. Nobody seems to do it for more than four or five years, but they all sort of form this collective board mm-hmm. that like all stays around and is involved with the race. And it's just like a really cool atmosphere. It's beautiful trails up in Wisconsin and, and a great post race and stuff. And Cayuga's kind of the same way. I mean, like Ian's just been a really great host. Um, every time I've come, he's gotten good competition. Uh, you know, there's a decent prize purse, which is nice. Um, since I do, make a living between this and coaching and writing. It's a little bit hand to mouth and it's like, not like the money is really important, but like, I mean, if I can win, you know, five or 10 K a prize money a year, that definitely helps pay the bills. So it's like not, right. it's not a non-factor either. Uh, when you're racing, it's not really a factor. You just, you know, it's all about competition and, and getting the best out of yourself. But in terms of a race calendar, it can help. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that, uh, keep me coming back to Cayuga. And I think, yeah, the, you guys have a really great community in New York, and it's uh, it's just a fun race. Um, I actually just was writing. I wrote two pieces about uh, the East, various East Coast ultra running pockets uh, for the August issue of, of Ultra Running Magazine, and one about the Asheville area, and the other was kind of about um, New York, and in particular Ian. It was kind of a profile on Ian and like what he has built with uh, you know the stores and with collaborating on uh, Mount. MPF Mountain Peak Fitness is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain Peak Fitness. That was yep. I, that was new to me this year. I think it's what maybe a year or two old. And like so, uh, pairing with those guys with Red Newt Racing, uh, and obviously they're doing awesome work too. Mountain Peak Fitness, and they're uh, are they based down in uh, New Paltz? New is that what it's called? New 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 Paltz. New Paltz. Yeah, I had never P A L T Z. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. But I'm probably <laughs> because I'm not I'm not from down there. I'm probably not saying it correctly I'd anyway. Ne- yeah, so. <laughs> I had never heard of New Paltz, and I think. Ian said it, and I was like, what? And like, I didn't know the words because like, he was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, New Paltz. And I was like, what are you saying? I, I had never heard of the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I gather that there's a good running scene down there, and I think a lot of it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, it's just been cool getting to know a lot of the folks from different parts of New York uh, who are, you know, meeting um, uh, Jan this year, you know, from up in the Adirondacks area and yeah. uh, hearing about, you know, the different races you guys have going on and getting to talk to Ian more about that and what he's trying to do with Red Newt Racing. And uh, it's definitely built, been built up a lot the last few years and I think is creating a really, a really good culture in your area, which is cool. And I think it's a little undervalued and underappreciated nationwide. Like there's such a focus in the media and competition-wise, like in the mountains and in the West Coast. Like obviously being a guy from the Midwest, I, I see that too. Um, but yeah, I think there's like, these different areas that tend to sort of coalesce around good trails and it, all it takes is a couple of grassroots running groups or a kind of race director or store owner who has a vision for something and they can build something really cool, but it takes a few key players like that to kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, help build the community up. And, And there's other, I'm sure there's other places around the East coast where that's going on too. I know there's a really robust kind of mountain running culture up in new England, uh, that I've seen a little bit of, yeah. and 
uh, just just cool stuff. And we've got pockets of that here too. The Southern Indiana trail scene has uh, been growing a lot the last number of years, which is cool to see. Uh, so it's it's fun to experience the different cultures, the ultra running, trail running cultures around the country, and and see what's going on with those. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. I guess. <laughs> The question you asked five minutes ago, why do I come back to Cayuga Trails? Yeah, culture and a cool race. You know, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's those those combination. Well, one of the things that's neat for us is, as you said, it it, it is interesting to have this little community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but then have as as Ian does bring in some elite runners into the community. I mean, we have some good runners and we have some very strong runners that place high in, in races. Yeah. I mean, we, we certainly have Davin Oskvig who's going around setting hundred mile course records, you know, every year, but, uh, and not to discredit that, but we don't have that next level sort of runner in, in this area. I think, um, at least, at least in my knowledge, I mean, Zach Miller is definitely one yeah. of those guys. Is Jared, and is Jared Burdick, Jared, the New York guy? Uh, Jared Burdick went to school with Zach Miller at RIT. Mm, I, I also went. I also went to RIT. There you but, go. Um, not not this. I don't have the same legs as those guys. <laughs> um, but yeah. So so we have sort of that little attachment, yeah. you know. Um, but but more what we have is a community of you know people that just want to be around races and running, and they do it sort of as a lifestyle. And yeah. we got some people who are aid station you know experts. Yeah, and they've never and they've never even run an ultra themselves yeah. because they're in the scene, which is cool that that exists, right? That, yeah. like that's way more fun and cooler than uh, volunteering at a, like a road marathon. I think <laughs> it just is because <laughs> the culture is different and it's yeah. it's really inclusive. And it's so much more important than the elite competition side. It's like I'm I'm really steeped in that right now and trying to pursue my best there. But I consider myself a lifelong runner and plan to be a lifelong runner and ultra runner and trail runner. And it's like there will come a time when I'm not going to follow the sport probably that closely in terms of the elites. And I'm not going to be involved in that side of it at all. But the the community will remain. And that's what's most important. And it's it's really, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, really inclusive. And like you said, it's there's a lot of folks who've either never run an ultra or maybe don't even aspire to, but are still involved. And, uh, yeah, I think the aid station example is good. You get people who like know more about what runners need and what you might, you know, what you, what you yeah. need to consume or, or what's going wrong for you than you might. And they might maybe have never run an ultra, you know? Yeah. They can just, they suggest things because they're around and they see it. People yeah. That, yeah. So they get a um, data but, set of like hundreds of runners, <laughs> whereas exactly. you're an experiment of one and don't, and you're yep. probably foggy minded, you know, late in a race, but yeah. But Ian, Ian then has these races where he brings the elites in, and and now we get to see that other side as well, you know, and and what it is like to have somebody to see somebody like Tyler go out, and to see somebody like Dylan Bowman go out, and to see Dylan struggle in a race. Yeah, and it's like you you don't actually when you hear race reports and you see the words like I started struggling at mile thirty seven. Yeah. Like, okay, those are a set of words. Yeah. But if if you're there and you see the struggle and you're like, oh, wait, that that's, you know, that's the human condition right in front of me in an elite runner. Yeah. That's really cool to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's cool. I, you know, to, yeah, to cool, it's cool to, to, for, I guess for me and for the folks who do finish in the top five to 10 to get that concentration of competition, because mm-hmm. I mean, we all run for different reasons, but part of the reason why most of us race is to test ourselves. And it's, um, if we just wanted to go run 50 miles, we could just go do that. But 
we want to push ourselves and the race atmosphere provides a catalyst and the mechanism to do that. And even if it's only against the clock and against yourself, most folks still choose to do that in a race, not in a time trial. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think, pretty universally true that you can get more out of yourself when you're racing another person. And the challenge becomes, yeah, I could run all of my local races all the time, but I probably wouldn't often have competition to push me. So it's like, at, at the top end, guys do got to try to get together. Girls do try try to have to get together to you know, with with folks who can push them and have a, have a great race. So that's that's cool too. It's it's what I think it's what everybody's kind of after in racing is is competition and trying to push your own limits. And uh, Ian helps facilitate that by by getting a strong field and by yeah. getting folks to come. So it's yeah, it's definitely a good thing. It's something I appreciate um, for where I am in the sport right now. But. So on that on that same vibe and sticking with fifty milers and sticking with community and sticking with competition, we'll tie all these together and sure. um, compare and contrast uh, something like Sonoma, right? Like yeah. Sonoma fifty with something like Cayuga Trails fifty. I mean, Sonoma is blowing up with competition. It's the it's fast and furious out there, and you managed uh, a sixth place there this year, right? Yeah, and that wasn't. I, I had a pretty pretty rough race. I bonked for like an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, and what Walmsley did there was uh, unreal, as well as his training partner Tim Frerichs, who got second in his debut ultra on six seventeen. I think really really good time. But that Sonoma is an interesting one, and one I'd like to do again. Um, I don't know if it'll happen in the next couple of years or not. We'll see. Um, so it's Tropical John Medinger, who's been in the sport forever, who runs it. So it's definitely not like you're like lifetime fitness Leadville race now, like, you know, like the direction that's kind of gone. Um, it is way more spectated and sort of hyped than something like Cayuga, just b- because the nature of where it is. Uh, mm-hmm. so you go there and it's like the night before, you know, there's kind of a pasta meal and it's like a who's who of running, you know, of ultra running. Like you just see so many folks there even just crewing or spectating or, or, you know, doing whatever with it, um, that aren't racing. But it's still pretty a pretty low key race. The way uh, John does it, it's not. There's no huge, like I don't know, finish you know festival or any or anything like that. Like it's a pretty no frills ultra race, just kind of doing everything right. And yeah, he's managed to like get like crazy good competition, and that's definitely still because there's a you know Western States spot on the on offer there um, for the top runners and stuff. Um, but in I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I forget what the original question was. Maybe contrast Cayuga Trails and, and Lake Sonoma. Um, I don't know. I guess there's a uh, everything's just bigger out there because the, because there's so many more people. It seems in the in the West Coast that are into ultras. That yeah, it's just more people. I don't know, mm-hmm. and more people who are like fans of the sport. I guess and following yeah. more media, more that kind of stuff. You know. Right. And, and that seems to sort of, um, it seems to be more out on the West coast than on the East coast. You know, uh, it seems like East coast we get, um, we have JFK 50 mile, which is a, a pretty, you know, it's a pretty big popular race. Yeah. Like, you know, um, Cayuga is sort of, it's small and low key, but Ian does that, that good job of a, a year round job of recruiting. Yeah elites to come um and we got the you know north face 50 bear mountain which you know that yeah because it's north face it's got publicity 
Yep. But I think, is there something to the fact that there's just a more concentration of races? So the, like the West Coast elites don't have to fly cross country in the beginning of June or something like that? Yeah, it's probably something like that. I mean, like, it's a long way, I guess, for a California runner to to come, you know, and I think Debo spent some time in New York, you know, maybe in the week or two before or whatever. I don't know why. Exa- like, it is a little surprising to me when I see West Coast runners come to Cayuga. I think it's great, uh, but it does yeah. tend to be Midwest, Northeast, you know, East Coast kind of folks. Um, so, yeah, they just have so many races to choose from out there. And I, I think that's nice, too, to engage in your local scene. I, I mean, we talk yep. about the 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 competition is a little more sparse in the Midwest and the South and the East. So like sometimes we need to tend to travel a little bit more to find a good race. Whereas if you live in the Bay, you could run all of your races within an hour drive from where you live and like have all the competition you could want, you know? So guys still want to get around and race different people. And there's something nice to that. I mean, obviously there's like, I'm not going to be doing this my whole life traveling a lot, but I do, (laughs) I always, (laughs) struggle a little bit with the carbon footprint of flying, you know, just to go run a race and that sort of stuff. And it's not the best. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's run, something... Run local, run yeah, local, race local, support local. For right? sure, for sure. So it's something I'm conscious of and, and try not to overdo it maybe. But it's it's a challenge kind of, like I said, for if, if you want to race the best, you have to travel and that's kind of just true. And it's like, yeah. I guess maybe I could, you know take a w- week long moped trip to New York next time instead of <laughs> instead of flying. I don't know, but it's, you could always <laughs> just run here too. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I wish we had a more robust rail network. I'd be fine with yeah. that. I wish we had high speed yeah. rail all over the country and we could just hop on a six yeah. hour train to New York, you know, but. So I think part of what, what happens though, is when you can see some of those higher level runners, mm-hmm. you can grow a community that aspires to be higher level runners. You can see what it's like. You can train together. You can get some of those tips. And so if you can sort of grow your own local elites, you know, and that's, that's a lot of what we're doing. We have great local runners who yeah. who are running great times on our great trails. And there, it's just, it's not a, it's not a national, you know, exposure type thing for everybody. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see that necessarily as a problem. I just, I'm more of like the curiosity of why does a race like Sonoma get really big for a couple of years? Yeah. Why does a race like, why does a race like Grandma's Marathon, right? In Minnesota just explode. Yeah. And Grandma's I love, by the way. It's maybe my favorite uh, yeah. road marathon that I've done besides Boston. Boston's awesome. But uh, I don't know. They do, They kind of just do things right. It gets back to that like, uh, and I think some of the, with the growth in the sport, some, some races have to be careful about this. And I, Ian and I had some, you know, I interviewed him for like an hour for this article I wrote and it was cool talking to him slightly more formally about his guiding mission and, you know, what, cause he's in it for all the right reasons, you know? And it's like, he'll take a hit or break even because he thinks something should exist as opposed to being about profit, you know? And, uh, obviously you got to make a living if you're, if that's what you're engaging in for your living. But, uh, his heart's totally in the right place. Um, and some races are, and some are not. And that's, that's true of ultras. And it's definitely true on the road side of thing side of things. And, and grandma's I think is one that's long done it kind of in the right way. And the community really gets behind it. And it's just a cool race. Um, to your point of like, why do some races get bit? And, and that's like a longevity thing, like not taking shortcuts in like how you conduct your yourself as a race director, like leads to a cool long race. I mean, obviously other factors like with Vir- Virgil, you know, other things can come from outside and, you know, ha- have an effect or, or maybe cause you to, to end a race. But 
Um, to the other point of like what makes races like really popular in the short term or something, in the ultra side, so much is still driven by Western states. Um, like you've got, that's why I said, that's a big part of why Sonoma is popular. And it's the only 50 yeah. miler left that's still a qualifier. Everything else is 100K now. Uh, so we'll see if it remains. But Ice Age from year to year, I mean, the year I did it, we had four guys, it, two years ago, we had four guys go sub six. There had only been five guys in the 34-year history of the race or 30-year wow. history of the race that had ever gone sub six hours. And here we had four in one race. And uh, it was really cool. And that was, not everybody was chasing a Western state spot. I guess I was not. But everybody, the other three guys were. And uh, it led to a really cool race on a cool historic course. And uh, so that's, yeah. that's really neat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to find what other drivers of competition are or, or, um, or making a race popular on the, on the top end. And Ian and I have definitely talked about this too because it's important to him, especially with Cayuga, because that's one of his goals with that race in particular is to make it very competitive and how to recruit guys. And, and to your point of his you know, year-round work on it, like, he reached out to me in like, I want to say like August of 20, 2012 about the 2013 race and was wow. like, Hey, yeah. like I'm trying to get together a good field. Like it's going to be telling me who's trying, who he's trying to recruit, like blah, blah, blah. I'd never heard of Ian, knew nothing about Ithaca or the New York trail scene. And I was injured at the time. And I was basically just like, all right. <laughs> I was like, I'm in, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I have nothing on my calendar. Obviously I was like, you know, obviously I need to be healthy. And I, there was sort of no end in sight at that point with my Achilles injury. And I, I wasn't super optimistic, but I was like, all right, I'll put it on the calendar and if I'm healthy, I'll come. And, and then I did. And, uh, you know, so I think recruiting has a lot to do with it. I still wonder about prize purses too, because look at like, like the North face, San Francisco, 10 grand for the win. And that's huge. Obviously it's the biggest, biggest prize purse in the sport, uh, in the U S anyway. And Western States might do more for you in terms of, uh, longer term. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like endorsements. But, um, but uh, North Face is is huge if if you win that, and and then it's sort of not that it's all about the money, but it 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 creates a reason for a bunch of guys to be in the same place at the same time, and then the competition itself is like what what snowballs. So that's kind of like the Western States ticket as well. It's like I go to Ice Age some years uh, or have because there's a Western States ticket ticket on offer, not because I wanted it, but because I knew it was going to draw guys right, and I wanted yeah. to race them. And that's yeah. kind of like the money at, at, at North Face. And I just do wonder if anybody else could come up with the cash somehow to to do that, what that would look like at another race. I wonder about JFK because uh, it's such a – it would become like the counter to North Face because they're two weeks apart and like yeah. uh, it's historically had some really good races, but they st- – you know, Mike has a hard time, you know, with, I think there's usually about a grand up on offer, maybe, maybe 1500 or something for the win. And maybe a little bit of course record bonus, but if he could put up 10 K the same prize versus North face went 10 K, 4 K, 1 K. And I know there's a lot of folks that are even like turned off by like the high entry cost of JFK, uh, and, and would maybe not like to see the, you know, see things move in this direction. Uh, so it's a challenge, but as Eric trans, you know, ultra runner podcast guy kind of always says, he's like, you know, vote with your dollars. There's a place in the sport for, top flight competition including prize money and it's like if you don't like that don't race it just don't go there there's there's plenty of fat ass races and and things that are a reaction to uh people's perception of races that are over corporatized or over focused on on money um but there's a reality that this sport is at least semi-professional for some people and the money can be a thing that creates 
a reason to get a lot of people together and and run some really inspiring and amazing stuff. I mean, uh, so I, th- I think it'd be cool to see like a JFK or or a faster fifty be able to put something together like that because there's so many emerging talents uh, on the on the kind of faster runnable trail road side of things right now. Tyler Siegel is an example, or Jared Burdick. You know, both both sub two twenty guys or two twenty guys uh, who could probably run really dang fast. And no one's gone. For example, no one's gone sub five hours in the 50 miles in, I don't know, 20 years. And uh, the world record's 450, uh, Bruce Fordyce. But there's got to be guys capable of it right now. So if you had a reason to get, I don't know, me, Sage Candidate, Max King, Tyler Siegel, Jared Burdick, Jim Walmsley, Zach Miller, whomever, you know, I don't know if Zach would be into it. You know, he's not as much of a roadie, but maybe. Uh, well, you know, JFK's... Uh- a one road marathon in an all. Yeah, right? and he uh, ran the hundred K world championships in Qatar uh, in 2014. Yeah. So he's done it. But but yeah, if you get ten guys who are all uh, capable, Zach Bitter, you know, capable of that uh, type of type of race, and and put them together, you know, with a decent prize purse, I think you'd see it, and that's cool. Like that's a really mm-hmm. aesthetic mark to me. Like sub five hour, fifty miles. It's just an interesting thing. It's six minute pace for fifty miles. And you have to be on the imperial system to like sort of find beauty in that as opposed to the rest of the world, you know, using metric. But like, I don't know. It's a neat thing. There was this badass runner from England back in like the 60s called the Ghost Runner. Uh, there's a cool book about him. Uh, he was like a Lakes District English guy, became obsessed with comrades, kind of, a, kind of a long story and a cool story. But he was obsessed with breaking four hours for 40 miles. Like he took several attempts at it, like on the track and was like trying to become the first guy to do that. And this is just slightly longer, you know, but. There's like a, a symmetrical beauty to, to something like that. And it's going to, it'd be really hard to happen, to get that to happen, absent getting a bunch of folks together to do it, you know? To push so, each so other. How so how do you do that? Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I'm, yeah. I'm rambling. And <laughs> well, no, I think, I think it's fun to, to sort of think through some of these things. You know, as, as you're going through it, I'm sort of going, yeah, y- you know, I don't really know how I feel about money in the sport. Yeah. But then again, that's because I pay money to be in the sport. Yeah. I don't, you know, like I'm not trying to win any money. And, you know, so many people now it's like, oh, look at this, about to break that course record. I wonder how they did it. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Sure. You know? And, yeah. and uh, you know, whatever. That that aside, I think what like what you said is if you could draw 10 people who were independently wealthy and could fly themselves across the country to a big flat, uh, fast road marathon in Omaha to race for the good of it. Yeah. Then, then that's how you can create that. But unfortunately, if you listen to the URP, uh, recently with Jim, he's talking about quitting his job, almost quitting his job, sleeping in his car, you know, borrowing, um, like the potential of borrowing money from people if he doesn't win prize money. Yeah. You you can't put 40 hours a week of training into running. <laughs> right. You know, you can't get those world-class results unless you can have some other way to support and feed those athletes. So there's there's got to be a trade-off to see world-class performance. Right. So Right. There's and yeah, there's a balance. I mean, there's challenges with it absolutely and I and I recognize that. And I think like I said with the with the races, if you're not into that and you think the sport is getting too, I don't know, too obsessed with money or elite competition or, or the corporate side of things, uh, you don't have to engage in those sort of things. There's plenty of grassroots yeah, right. events out there. I think we still have to be careful. We don't want to like totally ruin the culture of it or anything else. And I don't think yeah. we will. I think there's limiters. I think, A, there's enough people on guard about uh, losing our, our roots uh, that it won't happen. B, I think the sport tends to self-select. Um, uh, I mean, like, 
how many ultra runners have you met that are like bad people, you know, like mm-hmm. almost zero, <laughs> you know, it just like doesn't yeah. happen. People, yeah. people, it's not, it, people aren't getting into ultra running for like the glory. They're getting into it because they love running and they love running on trails and, and they like the culture of the, you know, the outdoor culture as opposed yeah. to maybe a road race, 40,000 people. So even at the top end, even if people like Sage or Rob or whomever figure out a way to do it professionally for a brief amount of time, like, first of all, they're still like living like, you know, pretty modest lives. It's not like you're striking it rich, you know, with ultra running. But, but I think additionally, the numbers are never going to get out of hand because permitting issues too, you know, you never have, I think the biggest races in the country are JFK and American river, both of which have a thousand people, which is like huge for an ultra, but like Western States will never grow past 400 because of their permit stuff. And like, that's true of a lot of, a lot of races. So the numbers are going to stay small. And it's like, yeah, if you lament the the money on, on some side of things, like you don't have to engage in the sport in that way. And I don't, I don't think it's a big problem. I think there's some people that are really hypersensitive to it and I'm not deaf to like the challenges or like the concerns, but I think for the most part, the sport has found a pretty good balance so far. Well, we'll see. I mean, Eric Schrantz said he put up a couple hundred bucks to get, to get (laughs) and Jim together. Let's see if they'll do it for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, Well, Jim talked about uh, doing the, the, the JFK North face double this year, two weeks apart. If he can, if he can, do that. I don't know if Zach will be back there or not. Zach's well, um, a really sparing uh, racer, like racing really sparingly, like once, like three or four well, times a year kind of thing. With the effort that he puts into his race. Yeah. And he's going longer and longer too. I mean, he's doing UTMB, yeah. that Madeira race he did was like 13 hours or whatever. Like that's, mm-hmm. you got to be careful with those. I mean, we've seen it with quite a few runners in recent years, especially at the, when you're really going to the well, you know, like Jeff Rose style or Timmy Olsen style, you can get yourself in a pretty bad spot. Uh, yep. So, so one last thing on yeah. on the the glory before we uh, I want to touch on the you your um ability to run six fifty milers in a year. But one last thing you said is nobody gets into it for the glory. And and I was sort of thinking, let you know, if somebody did run this sub five hour fifty mile, the glory and the accolades are only going to come from the running community. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not like it's going to be on headline news or CNBC or the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, you know? of course, no one, no one really cares. So, uh, so you're you're in it for you know, like you were saying, it would be really cool to see somebody capable of doing that. That's what you're in for, and and if you're that person that can do it, then that's cool. But you more want to see if it can happen, and, yeah. and it's the idea of that rather than you know I can't wait till they put that statue up of me, you know. Certainly, yes. Um, <laughs> so you had mentioned Jim doing that double two weeks apart, mm-hmm. and and I sort of alluded to it earlier, but we didn't really touch on the fact that you know your five twenty eight fifty miler came four weeks before your 544 50 miler at JFK. So what do you do in between those four weeks? And if you're racing six fifty milers, you got on average eight weeks between each one. Yeah. And I tried, I actually tried the North face, uh, JFK double that year. I dropped out at North face. I, I like caught the flu coming off of JFK and basically didn't run for two weeks, but I already bought a flight. So I went out to North Face anyway and like tried, but like I was just destroyed and like ended up dropping out about halfway. Um, it's one of, I think two DNFs I have, um, out of maybe 26 ultras or something like that. Um, but yeah, that would have been my 650 miler that year. And I was racing like crazy. I was coming off a year of injury. I think the stretch where I did Cayuga trails that year, uh, 2013, um, I raced seven out of eight weekends 
two of them were 50 milers, two half marathons, a 10 miler, uh, and the Mount Washington road race. Um, <laughs> maybe something else. Uh, I did Mount Washington the week after Cayuga. So did Sage, actually. We both did that, and it went well for him, relatively speaking. He got third, and it did not go so well for me. I, I was getting passed by, by gray hairs on the way up and, and things. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's it. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have a couple gray hairs around here. Jim Miner. Jim Miner's <laughs> passed me a number of times in races. Yeah, but um, uh, no, to your, to your question of what do you, the, the challenge with that, and I've, I've tended to structure it um, where I at least try to get a, a two or three month block of mostly training in at some point and then try to string together maybe two or three 50 milers in a row, about four weeks apart each. And like they become the long run stimulus for the next one. So like you don't do any, you're not doing any long running in between. And it's really just about recovering quickly and then maybe trying to get a few tune-up workouts in and just trying to recover fully between. So, like, that's okay. You can kind of do it, so, you know, 250 miles. I think it's hard to extend to three races, but doing it with two races is pretty manageable, I think, running, like, a 50-miler and then running another one four to six weeks later. Um, but the problem is you don't get any appreciable training in between the two. So you're going on that training block from – the time before the first race. And it's like, eventually that's going to, the bottom's going to fall out on you. And, uh, because you're lacking kind of that, you, you haven't worked on anything in a while. You haven't worked on your climbing ability. You haven't worked on your, your high end aerobic running or anything like that. And it's like, yeah, you've, you can get through the races, but you're going to, the performance is going to start to decline. So I try to shy away now from doing any more than two in a row like that. Like my fall season, for instance, is going to be, and I've had, between between Cayuga and between Ultravasan, uh, 11 weeks. Um, so that's a good chunk of time. And then after Ultravasan, it'll be 10 weeks before another Ultra, and then five weeks okay. before my final one for the year. So I have three races, three Ultras left for the year, all in the 50-mile to 100K range. And there, after Cayuga, it's 11 weeks, 10 weeks, five weeks. And that's, I, I think, a manageable window. Uh, so I'll still end up doing, I guess, five 50-mile-plus races this year, and then two 50Ks as well, which is kind of on the upper end of what I, you know, what's prudent. But, uh, yeah. So you'll, so you'll get some time to, to build rather than yeah, just sort of that's, like that's maintenance. Key. You need like at least, I, I guess it's more like you need two months or more because you can count on basically two weeks after a 50 miler to, I mean, I'm going to take three, four days off and then it's going to be a week of easy running. And then same thing on the, uh, you know, pre-race and you're going to kind of be backing off and tapering. So you're not going to get any real training in the last, you know, week to two weeks, which leaves you then with whatever chunk is in the middle of that. So if I'm looking between Ultravasan and whatever I'm doing at the end of October, it's kind of up in the air still. Um, I've got 10 weeks, so it's going to maybe maybe six or seven of that is is actually like a real block of training. And like if it's shorter, you know, if you only have two weeks, that's hard to really see any adaptations or do much. Like if you only have two weeks worth of training, uh, you need to like at least maybe f- – my feeling is like four weeks to kind of like put in a hard block of training and see some results from that. So you add in the time at the end of the race before that for recovery and the time for tapering. And that now you're looking at eight weeks, you know, between two races and still having kind of a minimal one month block to actually put in some proper training in between. Um, so yeah, something, something more like that eight to 10, 11 week range between races is probably a little smarter. Um, yeah. But okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, Man. I over raced definitely some yeah. and it, maybe paid for it with some injury stuff, you know. I think I think yeah. that 2013 or maybe even 14, I did eight ultras and three marathons, I think in 2014. And that was wow too much. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm getting slowly smarter, but it's tough because, you know, it's like, mm. this is what I'm focusing on right now. There's plenty of opportunities out there. Um, 
and and I want to take advantage of this time when I do have those opportunities. So right. finding that yeah. balance, uh, yeah. Yep. So and so finding that balance. Um, when do you have time? I can understand writing because you gotta you're like gonna write an article and you're gonna be like, okay, I am going to write this article because that's going to get a check to come in and I'm going to use that. To, so you have dates and stuff. Sure. When do you have time for your music? When When do you do music? Is that like your downtime? Is that your time away? Is that like late night fiddling on the guitar? Or, or are you as like structured and regimented with that as you are with like law and racing and writing? No, not at all regimented. Uh, it's been very much a hobby. Um, and I, I don't spend as much time as I would like to spend on it because I'm busier than I'd like to be, but I think we all are. Uh, so it's it's just picking up a guitar here and there, usually during the day, to be honest, just kind of as a break in the afternoon if I don't have a crazy busy day. Um, but I just got off the road for three weeks and hadn't played you know a lick of anything. Obviously, in that time, I've sort of lost my, lost my calluses and <laughs> trying to get them back. Oh, but no. uh, yeah, I pick, I mean, I've been playing music my whole life. Um, grew up playing piano and then was playing trombone in a band uh, and like through junior high, high school and have been in some different bands and, and stuff like that. Picked up a guitar in college and then kind of got a little more serious about it in law school, maybe, um, six, seven years ago and it's kind of just slowly gotten better. And, uh, that's mostly what I play now actually. And then the fact that it's, it's kind of been a weird organic, I mean, I've always wanted to write music, but it took me a long, long time to start doing it. And, uh, what actually kind of, I guess, sparked that maybe was in 2012, I was, um, I was living in Chicago. It was after I'd quit my job as an attorney, but I was injured and, and not able to run. I was kind of working at a coffee shop and then working at a running store. And it's kind of a weird year. And um, I was living with uh, two strangers, kind of a Craigslist find um, in Humboldt Park in Chicago. And, and they were both songwriters and in bands. And uh, seeing them and their creative process actually like really helped me break out of my own impediments and start actually writing. And, you know, I definitely wrote some dish, you know, <laughs> at first and, and still do. Uh, but it's like, like anything, and I think it took me a long time to realize this, like songs and song craft is not like, it's not like a talent that you just, I mean, there's talent involved, but it's not, songs don't happen out of, you know, just like handed down to you from God. They're, they're it takes work and it's something that, that you have to work at and improve upon over time. And it's like, like anything, and I, and, and, I mean, I've, I listen to some interviews, you know, with with artists I like or whatever, say Jason Isbell, who's awesome. And listen to some interview with him recently. He's talking about, you know, he and his wife, Amanda Shires, they lock themselves in a room like eight hours a day to work on music. And they have like one day a week, they do this thing where they're like, you have to come down at the end of the day with a song. And like, maybe it sucks and maybe you don't keep it. But like other times it's going to be great and it's going to make the album. And it's like that sort of discipline. Uh, I think the people who are true professionals at, at, as songwriters and performers do do that. And they have, um, but for me, that's not, I mean, I love it, but it's not how I make my living or anything like that. And I've got plenty of other things going on. So it's, so it's been kind of a really slow moving process and one where I don't spend a ton of time. And, and it's, it's been neat. Um, I guess 2013, I was starting to write a few things, had a couple of tunes I liked and I was on a road trip in like South Dakota, staying with uh, a, this guy Dan Gorman, uh, who was an old roommate of Sage Canada's, ran at Cornell briefly, and and uh, met him at the Mount Washington Road Race the year before. And we were all just hanging out camping, and I played a few tunes. And there was another guy there who was a pretty good guitar player, and uh, just fun passing around the guitar. But then Sage was making his Mutt Runner film, maybe the next year, and Dan, who knew him, I think Sage was looking for ultra runners who produced, created music and was looking to ha have that be the soundtrack for his film because he wanted to keep it very much in the sport and uh he reached out to me to see 
if I'd be interested and I kind of sent him a few things and he was like, yeah, that's great. And, uh, so that finally prompted me to like record and I hadn't recorded anything to that point. And, um, basically just have a, a single microphone and use garage band. I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and I still don't, but <laughs> try, so it's pretty lo-fi, uh, but put, put together some things and actually did some like writing of like, just like theme music for, uh, his film. And that was pretty cool and had some positive responses from that. And, um, maybe Eric Schranz had heard, something I, I played on that or something. But when I, when I interviewed with him in 2014, I ended up sending him links to my music and, um, he liked it and put one at the, on the outro at the end of that podcast. The music side has been really fun. It's been really interesting to see the way that's sort of traveled in unexpected ways, uh, with overlapping with running and people hear it somewhere and ask where they can get it. So I finally put it up on, on a SoundCloud, um, profile anyway, which isn't for download, but it's, you can stream it and it's, I have a link to that on my website. Um, just, yeah, we'll just put runflarity.com. <laughs> yeah, we'll put we'll put all that stuff in the show. Yeah. But we'll make sure because there there is, you know, the one song uh that Eric plays a lot is very fitting. I yeah. Mean, you know, it's it it's one of the parts um that I think if I can remember it, um you talk about uh action is to character as freedom is the power to resist. Is <laughs> yeah. that what it is? Yeah. And I, I like that line a lot, actually. I think that's a, I think that's a really neat turn of phrase. Yeah. I'm not sure what the power to resist is, but I like action is to character. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's a, that's an F Scott Fitzgerald reference. He, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know if he ever had that in a story or if I just read about it one time where it was, it was kind of like, um, Maybe he, maybe he had a, a note like on his desk that said "action is character" or something, and it was oh, like, yeah, uh, just saying that you're you, you can espouse the beliefs you want, but if you don't act according to them, that's not yeah. your character, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but character is what you're doing when nobody's watching, <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, I th- <laughs> I guess I do find a lot of my music ends up having these sort of running are tinged with like running language. And uh, I think that's, I mean, when you listen to like any like kind of like longtime troubadour songwriter type, all their stuff is like steeped with like language of the road, right? And like playing gigs. And it's like, because it's what you're doing all the time. So it's like, yeah. I can't help that like <laughs> running metaphors sometimes <laughs> slip in. Yeah. Uh, or mountains <laughs> and outdoors. Yeah, in right, right. I mean, yeah, well, nobody's going to listen if you're talking about filing briefs and, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Nobody's really into that, so... Right. Well, it um, lends itself well to meta- to metaphors, obviously, racing and yeah, outdoors. Yeah, it does. And, well, and, and getting the most out of yourself, I think, and, and seeing seeing what you can do on a given day. Which I think is why we're all, in part, drawn to running anyway. It's like it's... It, you see hard work paying off. You see, you know... You, you learn so much about yourself and as a runner and especially as an ultra runner, right? About what you're capable of, what you can work through. You learn about resolve and about uh, your toughness and, and that can be life-saving. I mean, it's, it's, it's big stuff and I think it's, it's a, a large part of why we're drawn to be runners to begin with, so. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of character development that happens as well. You know, how often do you just quit and give up on training runs? How often yeah. do you push through those runs? Yeah. You know, what do you do when you do get injured? Do you just, you know, all of that stuff helps, you know, at least for me, has shown me a little bit about myself. You know, I've had hard workouts where I've been like, I'm supposed to do one more hill repeat and I sort of mail it in on that last repeat. <laughs> and then I, I get done and I'm like, 
you big idiot. <laughs> it was, you know, you could have, yeah. you could have just pushed through that. You're not dead now and you wouldn't have been dead then. And yeah. then, and you sit there and you think about it and you go, why did I, why did I give up on that one little itty bitty piece? Or why didn't I push through this yeah. or that? And you can sit there and really be pretty introspective oh, after yeah. running. You yeah. Know? Whereas if, I don't know. And during running. I mean, right. like, I think of like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I like all sorts of r- racing and, and even sub ultra distances, but thinking of something like the road hundred K last year, which I don't think a lot of people find very appealing, you know, it's 10, 10 K loops, uh, in a, on a flat chunk of pavement in a small town in the, the Netherlands, uh, last year anyway. And like what it, what it does to me is it like, it strips the whole thing raw. There's no like oh, I've got an uphill coming up and then a downhill and I get to relax and then like, you know, also this is beautiful and all that's gone. You're just like, you're just running (laughs) and you're fight. It's like you're fighting your own demons. It concentrates that so much and it's like nobody's going to know per se if you like give up on yourself a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you're going to know and it's like, it's that battle, that mental battle to keep striving and keep pushing and fighting and, and, uh, it's really distilled in like a, a, a road hundred K. And I, I imagine that's even more true in like a track 12 hour or 24 hour race or something like that, which I'm not sure I'm that crazy, but mm-hmm. to ever do something like that. But it's, uh, it just, the focus becomes totally different from like what it kind of is <laughs> sometimes with a uh, trail, trail ultra running. Uh, yeah. Listening, uh, um, in eat and run when Scott Jerk just, uh, describes his last run at the 24 hour American record. Yeah. And it's like, Oh goodness. I don't yeah. even, you know, so I wasn't going to bring it up. I thought I had missed the opportunity, but you brought it up. So I got one last one before sure. we go into a few little quick questions. Um, you said you like all distances yeah. and I checked your, uh, your PRs. Do you have a 417 mile? I do. Yeah. When did you run that 417? Uh, it was my, I think, first or second indoor race in college. I walked on my sophomore year at the University of Illinois, and I had run, I'd run a 424-1600 in high school, and I was on, that was in a solo time trial kind of effort. I probably honestly had for sure a sub-420 in me if I'd ever gotten in a competitive race when I was fresh. Uh, so I had that type of high school ability, I guess, to be sub-420. And my guess is like the upper end of my talent, if I had focused on the mile, maybe would have taken me to like a 410 or something. Um, But I didn't focus on it much. I only ran maybe two or three miles in college. uh, And you only do the full mile indoors. Uh, I do 1500 outdoors. And I think it might have been like my first race. I ran a 417 flat and uh, an indoor race uh, in Champaign-Urbana. So that was that. that. I still like wonder like, all of my PRs except that one come from post college, which I'm proud of. Uh, I think that's not true for a lot of collegiate runners, and I uh, I still wonder if I can break that mile PR. You know, if I could like hop into an indoor race, it would take some sharpening work. Uh, but yeah, it'd be fun to try to. Tr- and actually, might do it. I've said this actually to like friends or whatever for the last several years, and haven't managed to put it together yet. But we have a really great indoor track in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where I live now. Um, I use track. Uh, it's like banked like fast. They host like five meets. Several of them are open to club runners or whomever. So you can enter unattached and like run. And I've always talked about like racing an indoor season because it, it is really fun. I, when I was coming off injury in, in uh, 2013, I hopped in like a 3000 meter race on the indoor track in Champaign-Urbana, same thing. And like was racing a c- couple college kids, you know, just got my, my ass kicked in the last lap. And like, it was fun though. It was a blast. And like, I really like that kind of takes me back. So 
if I can stay fully healthy and come off my ultra season this fall, I'm hoping to run like maybe three indoor races in like January, February next year and just like get a little speed work in and then maybe, yeah, take a shot at like all three distances, like 3,000, 5,000 and a mile and see if I can drop PRs in each. We'll, we'll see. It's maybe, maybe a bit of a, a bit of a long shot, but, uh, that's, that sounds painful. So painful. It's, it's cool. It's fun. It's just different. Right. And then people, that's what people talk about. Like, marathons or ultras oh that's so hard and it's like well everything's hard actually a mile's really hard they're a little different because you're kind of using there's a different you know there's different skill sets and different attributes that contribute to running so the pain of a marathon is different than the pain of a 5k but they're both really hard <laughs> if you're racing yeah. i mean like yeah they're all hard you know and that's kind of a, a an old track nerd conversation of like what events the hardest and like I think folks tend to think either the 800 meters or the 10,000 is kind of like, and maybe the steeple, that's a really grueling event too. But like the 800 is just like such agonizing second lap pain, you know? I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting question. But I, I still love racing that short stuff for sure and and would be excited to do some indoor races this year if the cards, if it's in the cards. But Yeah, I was going to ask you about comparing that the last lap of the mile versus chasing Zach Miller and that JFK. But well, I think you sort of just covered it. They're yeah, both painful in their own way. Exactly. <laughs> totally painful in their own way, for sure. Um okay, so we have I have Patreon um supported podcasts. So I have a couple of patrons that and I've started doing this Patreon lightning round at the end. Sure. Where so I tell them who I'm interviewing mm. the day, you know, a couple of days before and I say, give me the questions for the lightning round. And sometimes, you know, last um so Dan Lopata was the last one, and yeah. he's uh, he got a bunch of questions about Ithaca. Him and his wife right Amy got questions. Yeah, about I, Ithaca. I listened into some of that actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I met cool. Dan maybe my first Cayuga or maybe the second one. I forget. Uh, so I've kind of yeah. seen them uh, the few times I've been back. Uh, yeah, and he was at the he was at the aid station. Right. Um, and I think you played music with Dan before, right? I'm not sure if we ever have. We've talked about oh. it. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> he's a bass player, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, but I've never brought a guitar to oh. to, to Ithaca, and, and uh, we, we haven't put it together. Maybe in, maybe in a future year. But yeah, all right. So we only got two questions, but and um, one of them is kind of easy. One, I don't know. So um, have you ever run in Rochester, or what's the closest you've run to Rochester? No, never, never run in Rochester. Uh, how close is Niagara Falls to Rochester? <laughs> it's about eighty miles. Okay, so. <laughs> that's probably the closest I've run okay uh, so do you run like niagara falls marathon or? no i haven't been up there that, that was in like high school or something and it was oh, okay like, right you now whatever I just, just travel and five right. miles easy or something but yeah no all haven't right. been up in that area of the state at all really uh i had i hadn't spent much time in new york um until coming really to ithaca the last last few years uh so yeah all maybe right. another time yeah possibly we do have some races in rochester yeah so um, and then the last one is, how do you train for all this mountains and elevations in Indiana? Uh, it's hard. Um, I, where I live isn't totally flat. We have like 300-foot hills, uh, so it's it's rolling for sure. The challenge is, and I can get a six-mile loop with 1,000 feet of vertical gain. Like That's, that's a pretty proper amount of climbing. Um, we have some sort of techie trails and stuff, so it's decent for training for most things, but it's not a 2000 foot climb, obviously, or an out at altitude, obviously either. Um, so those are challenges. And it's like, I'm always feeling handicapped when I go anywhere with like, 
you know, that much climbing. Well, especially but, with some of the places you've run, like the long, like mile, mile and a half descents. Yeah. You can't, how do you train for a mile you know, and a half descent? So here's an interesting, so yeah, I used to think, I mean, the first few races, the first ultra I ever ran, which was at North Face 2010, I was in like lead pack of five or six dudes, Dakota, Dave Mackey, some, some Solomon Frenchies and, um, I think Jeff Rose and I was feeling awesome and we're all together through like 28 miles and we had like a steep descent to, I forget what it's called. Some, some sort of descent everybody knows out there. And I, and I, all of a sudden my quads like blew up just like <laughs> epically and, uh, like, like they never have since it was like the, the first experience of like true your first time quad <laughs> failure. And I was like, Oh my God, I basically like had to like half jog, half walk it in. I was like praying for uphills the rest of the race, you know? Um, and that happened a little bit, a few more times. Um, but here's one, <laughs> one advantage to racing too much, uh, is that my quads have, I mean, knock on wood, but become close to indestructible. I don't know. Like it's, um, in terms of like the, the damage of eccentric downhill loading, uh, right. because I haven't had blown quads in years and it's because I know what's most important for adaptation, uh, to, to handle downhill. It's, it's a neuromuscular change you're looking for. Um, it's, you, you're figuring out, your legs are figuring out how to better handle that load, that specific load. And it's something that like those neuromuscular changes can be really long lasting and like, it doesn't take much to bring them around. So when people are like, oh yeah, you got to hammer these downhill reps, like, you know, within a month out from the race kind of thing. So it's like, I still do that even just on my small hills here to make sure I'm sort of conditioning as I go. Uh, so when I, when I run, you know, a hard trail loop or whatever, I definitely push the downhill sometimes and really try to get that effect on my quads. But it is exceedingly rare now for me to have sore quads from downhills like ever. And I, and I haven't really had like blown quads in, in years. Uh, so I'm, I think it's something that like once you've run enough ultras, uh, even if you live in the flatlands, uh, I think you just sort of become conditioned to it. At least that's been my experience. And maybe it takes a certain number of races or something, you know, frequency. But um, that hasn't been a big challenge. And it's been a surprise because I always thought that was going to be my, like, you know, bane uh, as, a, as a Midwesterner. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's actually been more like the climbing. Like, I just, if I get sustained climbs of several thousand feet or just a race with, say, a 50-mile race with 10K plus, that's just a, a lot for me. And, like, mm -hmm. I struggle with it because I don't do it in training. And I could hop on a treadmill and just, like, climb for an hour, but I hate the treadmill so much. And, like, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> I struggle. So I, we, we hadn't got to this. Um, I will mention, uh, so my, my fall racing schedule is Ultra Vossen, and then it'll cap in December with the 100K World Championships. And I'm still waiting on, on what's going to be the late October race. And it's either going to be the Tussie Mountain back, heading back there, or I put in a resume, as did Jared Burdick, I know, for um, the Ultra Trail World Championships, which are in Portugal, um, North Portugal, on like the Galician border. They look absolutely beautiful. And Tyler Siegel has an auto spot from Cayuga, um, uh, as does Corinne Malcolm. And I think they're both as winners, and I think they're both taking their spots. Um, and there's a few auto spots like that, but if people pass on those auto spots, they roll down. And then also there's a couple like by resume submission selections right. and i kind of put my name in the hat with my third at cayuga and a sixth at sonoma which was another selection race like i might have a chance of getting on that team depending on what other people do uh but the point is if that race happens i think it's got five thousand meters of vert in an 80k wow. which is like sixteen thousand feet uh, yeah. of gain in, in a 50 miler so that will be quite the challenge to train for and i think i'm that might be enough of an impetus to finally get me on the treadmill for 
you know, <laughs> whatever, half hour long or hour long hill climbs once a week or something. Cause that, that scares me <laughs> yeah. that, that much for it. Uh, so, but so the, yeah. so the lightning round answer would have been technique, not repetition, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. I don't know how to give short answers. Brevity is not my strong suit. Oh, I think that's good. I think I think we now have a full understanding of how to do it without hills. I mean, um, I you know the the race that I'm the hundred k that I'm running, which is becoming sort of it's the first year. Uh, last year was the first year, but the Twisted Branch hundred k. It's where is it? I it's in it starts in Naples, New York. Okay. So Canandaigua Lake runs down the length of Naples across over to Cuca Lake and down to Hammondsport, New York. So it's a point to point hundred K okay. on on the Bristol Hills branch of the Finger Lakes Trail. Cool. Um so it's it's pretty cool. Um Jackie Palmer, the girl that mm-hmm. placed um second last year at Cayuga, yeah. she won the, you know, Twisted Branch. Okay. Uh Davin Davinoskvig, who placed seventh at Cayuga last year. Okay. Um who's won Burning River, who's won Oil Creek and stuff. He won Twisted Branch That's last year. Cool. And he said it was as hard as any 100-miler he's ever run. Man. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that has 10,000 feet of gain and 11,000 feet of descent okay. in 64 miles. Yeah. That's so forever. so for me, uh, you know, the downhill was a thing for me. Yeah. The long, like, mile to mile and a half downhills. The short ones, I can do those, you know, you know, you just run through them. But if you don't have great technique, I don't think you can run through a mile long downhill. I think you get beat up with if you have bad technique. Yeah. No, that's an interesting question, too. I don't know how long you've, you've been running ultras or like how many. Because, it, again, it was sort of a. <laughs> Last year's 100K was my first ultra. Okay. So, <laughs> so there's hope uh, that yeah. the cumulative effect of these ultras yeah. will eventually, I think, give you better downhill quads. Uh, yeah. At least that's been my personal experience. Obviously, everybody's a bit different, but like the mechanism working there should be universally true. I yeah. mean, like if if you do it enough, <laughs> you know, yeah. even if that's have, just in races, uh, you're. I have three okay. now. I, I have a 100K, a 50K, and then Cayuga is 50 miler. Cool. So I have three ultras. Yeah. So yeah, I don't have that, um, I don't have that neuromuscular adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Give it, give it eight or 10 ultras and then, and then, <laughs> and right. then we'll talk and see, see where you are. But, uh, right. yeah, that's cool. I'll have to keep an eye out for that race. I know Jackie a bit. Um, I've, I've seen her at some races over the years and we're sort of in touch sometimes. Uh, uh, she's a good runner too. And, uh, yep. she, she, she was up in New Hampshire, right? Finishing her degree up there. I'm not sure where she yeah. is now. She finished her degree and she actually missed Cayuga because she was moving down to mm-hmm. Atlanta. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yep, she just moved down and she's all she's all graduated and yeah. PhD'd up. She's, she's got a Dr. Jack. Yeah, a whole new set of trails and, and scene mm-hmm. to explore. And they got some fun stuff going on down there, too. Yep. Uh, my girlfriend and I so, nearly uh, moved to Chattanooga a couple of years ago and that was kind of like a... I would have been excited to like check out what they got going on down there. I know there's a lot of cool, cool trails, cool races. Running the Blue Mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Um, So, yeah, I think, was I, I had a thing. I actually forgot the thing I was going to, I've never done this. I've never forgot the thing I was going to say. Oh, well. um, Yeah. So, anything else? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remembered what I was going to say is Uh, that Twisted Branch probably won't fit into your schedule this year, at least. Yeah. um, Because it's uh, it's August 20th. Okay. So same date. It was the actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was the 29th last year. It's the 20th this year. Okay. So um, 
other than that, you know, I don't, I don't know when we'll chat next, but it's been fun seeing yeah. you. Likewise, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, yeah. Thanks for doing what you do with the podcast generally. Uh, Thank you. A, a needed, needed thing in the sport, and that's part of part of the picture we we're talking about, right? In terms of building yeah. community. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's cool, and um, yeah, maybe Cayuga next year. Who knows? And if if not yeah. next year, uh, I know I'll be back to that race eventually. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like a lot of you folks. Uh, get down to it too and and uh the rochester crew man i've, I've seen the trails rock folk every, folks every year but so wow we covered quite a bit in that conversation i uh for one can't wait until my muscles make that switch over to indestructible you heard matt he said there's hope don't don't crush my dreams he said there's hope so I just got eight to eight to twelve more um, uh, ultras before I become indestructible. So that's pretty exciting to know all about. Um, so, but really, it's nice to hear Matt's views on the Rochester Ithaca scene. It's good to know that Red Newt and Mountain Peak Fitness are making some noise. He gave a little shout out to Trails Rock Crew there too. So can't beat that. Um, Matt mentioned a lot of cool events and people in this episode. I've put a lot of it into the show notes at www.runninginsideoutpodcast.com slash podcast slash 033, but I couldn't possibly put it all in there. So what I'd say is if you are interested, go check out Matt's site, as he mentioned, um, runflarity.com, and that's also in the show notes. Um, And I'll even have a link to his SoundCloud out there so you can listen to some of the songs as well. There are a few I almost picked, but like I said, I just couldn't pass up no holding back because um, that's just... uh, I don't know. It was the first one I heard. So I was going to play a little something different for an outro, uh, but I think picking No Holding Back is just uh, fitting since it's the first song I heard of his, and and that's the one I'm going to play. So deal with it. Go out to a sound color and listen to uh, his other songs if you'd like. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for sharing your stories and for getting out there and creating new ones. And uh, with that, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there. No longer afraid You've been there before But your memory betrayed Only one way out No, you can't turn away Rid yourself of doubt Hit the road The toll has already been paid Looking back won't do you no good now No holding back the reins It's time to hit the field and plow No leaning on your father He won't be around Turn it hard to starboard, catch the wind that's blowing right across the bow. Here all the time, 
You've been on my mind Come toe the line No holding back this time Winter couldn't come along too fast September was battled, didn't know if you would last Hoping for tomorrow, but buried by the past Need a bird's eye view, all you gotta do is climb up on the mast Fortune's favor in a shadow on your wrist There is only time and your courage you insist But action is to character as freedom is to power to resist Here all the time You've been on my mind Come toe the line no holding back this time Here all the time You've been on my mind Come toe the line No holding back this time